Bibles and open up to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll read the text in just a minute, but let me just say a couple things to you uh, as you find your text. Number one, it is good to be back. Normally, I take the whole month of July off this year, only a couple of weeks. I just really felt like with the circumstances, it just, I just, I just didn't have the comfort level to take off the whole month, not because of you, just because I just, things are changing so fast and we need to be able to respond to them uh, as quickly as we possibly can. But I have had a couple of uh, good weeks away, a refreshing, I roughed out a couple of sermon, new sermon series, I read, uh, only read about three books these last two weeks, which is low for me, honestly, but uh, but I, that's because I had other things that I had. We, we, went, we went absolutely nowhere. We worshiped with you on live stream the last two weeks, and that was wonderful. But it's not like, it's just not like being here and seeing your faces and, um, and forcing you to listen to, um, to me. I, I mean, uh, it's just not like uh, uh, seeing you. It's so good to be back. But I, I, I've been, be- and it, it really is good to be back because um, while I was away, let me tell you how I rested. I repaired a lawn, my lawn tractor. I rebuilt my chainsaw. I painted and caulked, and by the way, I hate to paint. And in fact, if hell weren't a lake of fire, you know what it would be? It would be a shopping mall that you had to paint for eternity. That's, that's what it would be uh, to me. I, I painted and caulked. I took down about 50 yards of um, overgrowth that was eight feet tall and eight foot wide and took me about three days just to get that, that stuff down. And among other items listed for me to do. So I am really glad to be back. But my grandson showed up this past uh, middle of the week. Uh, he brought his mom with, with him, and they're, fact, they're watching. And uh, Bodie Pop says, I love you. And uh, uh, we have this signal like this. And so if he sees Pops, he's going to go right like that. So uh, Bodie is watching, and uh, he does watch regularly, and he um, he listens better than a whole lot of you uh, to my messages. Um, but uh, at any rate, they've been down. It's been good, but it is so good to be back. And, you know, I'm so grateful for our staff. You know, God has given us such a wonderful staff. You know that, but I just want to affirm them again. When I leave, I don't worry. I don't worry about the pulpit because I know you're going to get good solid biblical preaching and teaching. Uh, Chuck, I listened to Chuck and I listened to James over the past couple of weeks and they just did a fabulous job. Great messages that they brought uh, to you. So I don't worry about that. I know you're going to be fed well. Um, Bob Sanders on Wednesday nights in my pastor's Bible study uh, did a superb job as well. And that's a great testimony to our church that we have such gifted and skilled uh, staff. And I am so proud of them, and I'm, I'm glad that I can, I can go off and not worry. Some pastors leave, and they worry while they're gone. They worry about the church. I don't, and that's a, a tribute to these guys and their skill uh, and, and serving. And then those who behind the scenes that you don't see that do so much operations and administration and all those things, just, uh, uh, we just got a great team, and I, I'm grateful for them. Well, today I want to complete our journey through chapter 11 of Hebrews. The Faith Chronicles is a series that I want to conclude today. And then we've been talking about the stories of men and women uh, who have shown us how to walk by faith. And then this final message, it's kind of a, a tad bit different because we're not going to take like one person and focus on their particular life because the way this uh, uh, chapter ends is kind of a collective 
It's a collective about uh, of various men and women of faith, even people that we don't know their names. He calls them the others in the passage here. And so that's why I've named the message the known and the unknown. He gives us the names of a lot of folks we know, but there are the others that we don't even know. Now, for some of those who are mentioned by name, you can actually go back in, in the Scriptures, and if you want more detail about their entire story, you can go back and read their stories. Now, we began the series, the first message, we defined faith. We began it with a definition of faith. And you can go back to the early part of this book to get the definitions of faith. But what I want to do as I conclude the series is I want to conclude with the destination of faith. Where does faith, real faith, where does it lead us? And how do we get to the, the end game, you might say? Eugene Peterson in uh, his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, says this. He says, the Christian life is going to God. And in going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on. We breathe the same air everyone else breathes. We drink the same water. We shop in the same stores. We read the same newspapers. We are citizens under the same government. We pay the same prices for our groceries and gasoline. We fear the same dangers. We are subject to the same pressures as everyone else is. We get the same distresses, and we are buried in the same ground that everyone else is. But what is the difference for us? The difference for us is the difference that our faith makes. We're in this world just like everybody else, and we encounter the same things that this world thrusts at everybody else. But we have something that should make a difference, and that is our faith. Because each step we walk and each breath we breathe, we know that we are preserved by God. We know that we're accompanied by God, and we know that we are ruled by God. That's the difference that our faith makes. And in our passage today, it, it, the passage makes plain the difference that faith makes. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me as we read our, our passage this morning, beginning in verse 32. Take your copy of God's Word and follow along. It says, and what more shall I say? I'll come back to that statement. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, uh, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith, that's an important phrase, remember that, who through faith, look what they did. They conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves uh, of, uh, of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Father, thank you for your word. Enlighten our hearts and our minds. Tune us in, Father, to hear what you have to say to the church today. Father, use your Holy Spirit to make it meaningful and powerful. But most of all, Lord, would you transform us with the living word. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. Now, the author of Hebrews concludes this famous chapter 
this famous Hall of Fame of Faith chapter, he concludes it with a summary. In other words, he's making clear that he hasn't even scratched the surface of the stories of how many men and women there are of great faith, the multitudes of those men and women through the ages who have been deeply devoted to following him. And this passage, I believe, is a stirring reminder to us that their faith serves as a model for our faith. It is a motivator. It, is, it inspires us to be faithful to God to the very end because it tells the story all the way to the end how they lived and walked with God. And uh, it is a reminder to us that we can exercise a faith, or genuine faith, real faith, all the way to the end, whether that be Jesus returning or, or God calling us home. We look at their lives and we say, if they could do it, we could do it. And there are some we know and some that we don't know, but God knows. There's an interesting statement Jesus made in Luke chapter 18. He says this, he says, when the Son of Man shall return, will he find faith on earth? Isn't that an interesting statement? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? What is he talking about there? He's talking about will he find followers, real deeply devoted followers of his, where there'll be people whose lives are so characterized by faith that they are willing to face whatever this world thrusts at them. Now, you know, if you were to ask that question a year ago or two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, especially in, in particular in America, if you were to say, is there faith if Jesus returns in America? You know what we would have all said? We would have said, oh, yeah, in America. There's a, I mean, faith, uh, faith is powerful. Faith really uh, affects culture and faith. We'd have probably said that. But these last few months have shown us how quickly those kinds of things can change, haven't they? They've shown us we've seen the uh, churches in retreat, and I'm not fussing at, at them. I'm just saying we've seen churches in some cases in retreat. We've seen Christians who have gone into retreat. We've seen uh, the faith that has become uh, openly and, and with great hostility uh, criticized and marginalized uh, in this nation in ways that we've never seen before. And by the way, I, I don't. I think that's going to get worse as the years go on. If you understand your Bible and and you understand understand the the end of the age that those things are and so jesus says to us in advance he says when the son of man returns will he find will he find faith will there be a strong faith operating in our lives it's a great question because again the more chaotic our world becomes the more our faith will be tested and the question for us is, will we remain committed to Christ and to his kingdom above, above the kingdom of this world? Will we cave into the pressure to distance ourselves from the clear teaching of God's word? Will we be tempted to deny that Jesus Christ is the only way to God? Will we be tempted to say, well, I, you know, I believe Jesus is the only way, but there are lots of different ways. You know, we're starting to see some of that in the church in America today. Uh, where people are saying, well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm open to other possibilities. You know, the Bible doesn't give us that latitude. Jesus even said, I am the way, not a way, I am the way. That's a definite article in the Greek. It doesn't mean I'm one of many ways. It means I'm the only way. And Jesus said this, there are two paths. He said, there's a broad way that leads to destruction. There's a narrow way that leads to life. And he said, only those who walk that narrow way, only those will find the real life. 
So the Bible doesn't make, give us that latitude. You may, people may say, oh, a narrow-minded kind of preacher. You're talking about, I'm just, I, look, don't shoot the messenger. This is what Jesus said. Now, here's the good news. Jesus didn't say, say that you can't go take that path or you can't find that path. He said, but whosoever. But he said, there's only one way, but whosoever. You had that option. See, all of us have that option. All of us have that choice. You may be watching today by live stream or television and, and, or sitting in this place and say, you know what? I've just, I've made Jesus just one of many ways. Do you know why the church, do you know why the church suffered? One of the primary reasons the church, when this was being written, there was great persecution going on in the church. Do you know one of the primary reasons the persecution was going on? It may surprise you. Well, the primary reasons is because the Roman Empire was polytheistic. That means it had many different gods, and they had temples to all these different gods. The, the problem was that Christians would not bend the knee to any other god. By the way, I read about an athlete this week that said he would not kneel because he would kneel to only Jesus Christ. I commend him for that because that trumps everything else when we say the only person I will kneel to is Jesus Christ. And that's why Christians in the first century got in trouble. That's why they were per persecuted and harassed because they wouldn't just fall in line and say, we'll just put our, our the Romans said, well, build your, your worship center, build it uh, to your God, but let your God be one of the many uh, uh, gods, uh, pantheism and polytheism. Let your God be one of the many and everything will be good. But the Christians wouldn't do that. They would say that Jesus and Jesus alone was God. Jesus Christ is Lord. And by the way, many of them lost their life just because of that confession. Because they wouldn't confess. See, Caesars, the emperors, many of them began to think that they were on the same level as a god. And so many of the Roman emperors began to demand that the people worship them, along with all the god of agriculture, the god of the weather, whatever gods they had. And, and, and Christians wouldn't do it. And so it was common to greet one another in those days with this greeting. If you were a loyal Roman citizen, if I, I walked up to Chuck, I, I, and Chuck might say he's a Roman, a loyal Roman, he'd say, Curious Kaiser the, to, to me. That means Caesar's Lord. And so he'd greet me that way. But, but if, if I'm a devoted Christian, I wouldn't respond back, Curious Kaiser. I would respond and say, Curious Christos. Christ is Lord. And many Christians were arrested, and they were thrown into a prison, and some were thrown into the Colosseum, and they were mauled to death by lions, because they wouldn't confess a loyalty to anything but Jesus Christ alone. And I believe that the more chaotic our world becomes, the more our faith will be tested. I think what's happening right now in our culture is a microcosm of what is going to happen. We need to pass the test, and that means learn to live by faith regardless of the circumstances. Does that make sense? If it does, do like this. We've got to learn that. And so when this passage was written, you've got to keep in mind that they were, they were being punished and mocked and imprisoned and killed just because they believed in Christ and lived for him. But their faith, and here's the big point, their faith made the difference in how they lived and how they faced the future, even with the, the, the prospects of suffering and in some cases dying. My question is, does your faith make the difference in the way you face the culture? and the way you face the things, the details that, uh, that you're facing in life. Today, I want to show you four things about that from our passage. And the first thing I want you to see and notice is found in verses 32, verse 36. I want you to note the mortal instruments of faith. 
the mortal instruments of faith. What are the mortal? You and I are to be the mortal instruments of faith. We are the, the means by which we demonstrate faith, not only uh, in loyalty to God, but we let the world see that we are his instruments of faith. Does that make sense? And that's why I've called this message the known and the unknown, because while we recognize the many names, God wants us to know that there are many others, countless men and women of faith, that we don't know their names, but yet their faith causes their lives to be an inspiration to us to live out the faith just like they did. They were mortal instruments of faith. We are mortal instruments of faith, and God highly esteemed them. Now, I think there are a couple of reasons that we're told about all the people in Hebrews 11, but even those who we don't know their name. Uh, first of all, I think we're told about them to show us something, and that is that they were just humans like you and I. Be careful not to elevate these people to some unattainable level of spiritual faith. They are commended for their faith, but they were still very much human. And I believe that's one of the reasons that these stories are told to us is so that we can understand that these people were not gods. They were just men and women, but their faith is what made the difference. They were these mortal instruments of faith that God could use and work through. They weren't perfect people. In fact, if you go back and read some of the stories of these men and women that we have by name, and as I said, you can go back and read about some. If you go back and read some of these stories, you're going to notice something, not just their successes, but you're going to also notice their mistakes. And you're going to even see in some, some of them their sin and sometimes where their faith uh, uh, failed. Their faith failed because they didn't obey but there were failures in their faith. Now, listen to me. Faith does not demand perfection, but it does demand obedience and an enduring kind of devotion. And that's why people who failed are still commended. They're not commended for their failure. They're not commended for their sin, but they are commended that they endured and continued in deep devotion to God. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, we can prove our faith by our commitment to it and in no other way. Do you get that? We can prove our faith by our commitment to it and in no other way. But listen, he goes on to say, any belief that does not command the one who holds it is not real belief. It is only pseudo-belief or fake belief. It might shock some of us profoundly, he writes, if we were suddenly brought face to face with our beliefs and forced to test them in the fires of practical living. You know, some of that's happening right now, isn't it, in our world? That we're, our faith is being put to the test. Where, uh, practically speaking, uh, how does our faith manifest itself uh, in the crucible of the fires of practical living today? We've noticed that and seen that, and it's increased in the last few months. But there's another reason I believe that these stories are given to us and told to us, and that is to show that our faith can be just like theirs. That's the positive side of it. So you see men and women, just humans, 
They, they were, had victories and successes. They had failures and defeats, but they, they held strong to their faith and devotion to God. And so we're told about them because we need to understand that our, uh, we, can be, we can rise to that same level of faith and obedience. God uses and always has used ordinary people to do the extraordinary work of the kingdom. In fact, here's an uh, important thought. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. When God created you, he created you on purpose. He created you with purpose. God wasn't bored in eternity saying, I need something to do. I think I'll just make people. Listen, you say, well, I'm not qualified. Yes, you are. That's the reason these stories are told to us, so that we can see that we're qualified to be men and women of faith. In fact, do you know from the moment you were born, you became qualified to become useful to God? Don't, don't miss The moment you were born, you were born intentionally. You're not a product of chance. You're not an accident. You were born intentionally you were designed by God before you were ever created in this world and that means you have purpose and meaning and God created you to be useful to the kingdom from the moment you were born you know one of the things that I pray over my grandson and pray for my grandson is number one that at the right moment he will recognize who Jesus Christ is we prayed it last night pray every night over him Jesus uh, calls him to understand who you are and trust you the second thing I pray for him is that he will understand why you put him here why you put him here. you know some people are just going through their life just hoping to kind of get through and hopefully have a halfway comfortable life and there's nothing wrong with a comfortable life but i want to tell you something don't settle for that because god puts you here to use you you're here for more than just making sure everything works out and that everything is comfortable and one of the reasons we have this story is so that we will understand that we are the mortal instruments that God is working through to accomplish his great kingdom plan. That means you are important to God. I don't care what anybody else may have told you. You have value to the kingdom of God. That's why the king created you. You are important, and God wants to use you. So the real question is, do you trust him? That's faith. Do you trust him enough to follow him and obey him, period. You see, a lot of times we're, we're willing to say, well, I'll follow him as long as the path is good, as long as there's no stresses. And by the way, you can't find a path in this world because it's broken that doesn't have stress and anxiety attached to it. And what we do a lot of times, we say, well, I'll follow as long as everything is smooth. But when we're tested or when the, the, the difficult season comes, we have trouble. Listen, the question is, do you trust him enough to say, I follow him unconditionally when the path is good and when the path is difficult? And that's why we have the stories of these people, and in particular, the others you know, verse 36 and, and following, verse 35, and all of these verses tell us about the others. Do you trust him unconditionally? Do you trust him, period? The second thing I want you to see this morning is the miraculous deeds of faith. 
And we see those chronicled in verses 33 through verse 35. Underline this phrase, because I told you I'd come back to it. Uh, the simple phrase in verse 33, who through faith, that's the operative part of that statement. Who through faith, these people, including the ones that are named and unnamed, who through faith, and then he goes on to start talking about some of the things they accomplished, but also some of the things they endured. In fact, it's an incredible list of miraculous deeds, and they were all the results of faith. They were all the results of faith. In fact, there are nine miraculous deeds mentioned in our passage, and they appear in three groups. The first group uh, of miraculous deeds is about faith and conquest for God. The second group is about faith and endurance and, and deliverance uh, for God. And the third group is about faith and personal victories for God. Now, the key is not which category do the miracles fall in. That's, that's just kind of side uh, uh, information. The key is to understand that it was their faith that resulted in the miraculous works that God was able to do with them and through them. And it is important to understand that biblical faith, listen, may bring blessings to us, but it always brings glory to God. Biblical faith may bring blessings to us. That's the overflow of faith is that we, we may be blessed because of our faith, but biblical faith is not, listen, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I, I want you to know this, biblical faith is not about you being blessed. That's overflow. Biblical faith expressed is about God being glorified. And what happens is when you and I are living uh, by faith and we are trusting God and we are honoring Him and He is working through us because of our devotion to Him, it brings glory to Him. And guess what? The overflow is often spin off for us. Does that, does that make sense? And so we get blessed, but God is glorified. Today we hear a lot of just the, the reverse, and that is if you'll just live by faith, God will bring blessing to your life. Living by faith is to point others toward God. Living by faith is to bring glory to God. And what happens is when we do that, there's reciprocal blessing. Blessing out of the overflow. Why is it that we don't see more obvious miracles? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, the Bible's full of miracles, and why is it? I think there are a number of reasons. In some cases, it's because... God, a lot of, uh, God does a lot of common miracles, and we're not looking for them, so we don't recognize them. I think it's number one. Number, uh, and number two, I think it is because we don't enable him to do miracles because we believe we really believe and follow. We, we need miracles to sustain us often, and Jesus just doesn't say, okay, if you need a miracle so you can believe, then here, uh, see this. In fact, that's exactly what was happening in the age where Jesus lived. Uh, there were religious people the religious people were coming to him and saying, we'll believe, but you've got to show us. You've got to prove that we ought to believe. For example, in John 6, 30, it says, they said to him, then what sign do you do? That means, by the way, in the Greek, what attesting miracle will you do that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? In other words, they said, okay, all right. If you want us to believe in you, you've got to show us some kind of miracle. You've got to show us something that proves what, who you are and sustains that. And you know what? Jesus wouldn't do it, would he? Jesus' point was simple. Miracles are not given to produce faith. 
But faith is expressed as a catalyst that enables miracles. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that if you have faith, then God is bound to perform a miracle. But what it does mean, if you are following it, you don't need miracles for your faith to be substantiated and real in your life. But when it is real in your life, guess what? Faith does something. It is the catalyst that enables God to do miracles when God desires to do miracles that will bring Him glory, not you glory. And you'll get, to, you'll get in on the reciprocal kind of blessing. You see, the limit of our faith has always cost us the ability to see Christ do miracles. I remember in Mark 6, 4, you know, Jesus was in his hometown. He, he was there in, in Nazareth, and, and it says uh, that he couldn't do many miracles there. In fact, it says he couldn't do a miracle there. He couldn't do a single miracle. He says he put his hands on some people and he healed the sick. And I think that was just an act of grace. I think it had nothing to do with faith because he makes the point in that, in that passage where he says, and he couldn't do many miracles because of their unbelief, Mark chapter six. He said he just, he healed a few people. And I think that was just because probably that felt compassion on him said, you just get better. Faith enables it. It doesn't it doesn't command God, but it enables God to work his miracles around us and sometimes through us. And the lack of faith was the difference maker between what Christ could do in his own home and what he wanted to do. The fact that it says, and he couldn't do a miracle there, tells you that he would have loved to do miracles there. But their faith restricted it, their lack of faith really. Well, back to our text for a moment. The point for us is simply this. The miracles experienced by these men and women in chapter 11 are the results of faith and serve and should constantly remind us and inspire us to live by faith because it's a faith that moves mountains. But then there's a third thing I want you to see this morning. I want you to see the manifest suffering of faith. Now, this is not the part that we often hear much about, but uh, the suffering, the manifest suffering of faith and look at verses 35, uh, really on through uh, 37, and, and it, it says this, some were tortured. Some were, to were tortured. Miracle faith, I want to tell you, is fun faith. Miracle faith is fun faith, and, and I'm not making light uh, of it all, a, at all. I'm, I'm not saying the good stuff, that, that, that we shouldn't enjoy the good stuff. I, I think it, we should. I think it is stimulating, and when you get to see God do something miraculous, it, it's powerful in our life. And if I could choose, I'm going to be honest with you, if I could choose this morning, I would always opt to live in the world of victorious, miraculous faith. Amen? I mean, if, if there were boxes where you could say, okay, do I want to live in the, the realm of faith that also experiences suffering or the realm of faith that always experiences nothing but success and victory which one would you cho uh, choose? Duh. Oh, give me the suffering one. By the way, Paul checked the second one off. Did you know that? He says that I might know you and the fellowship of your suffering. He actually checked off something. Now, I'm not urging you to check off the, 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 the suffering, but what I want you to understand is faith will bring us down both pathways. Faith is the response to both pathways the path of victory, but it is, also, it is also necessary when you're walking the difficult path. 
Because faith sometimes has a difficult side. And, and this is the, I think this is the hardest section of the entire chapter. Uh, in my view, this is the most difficult portion of this entire chapter. And, and we don't hear a lot of messages on this. Have you noticed that people don't, look, look at verse, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, 34, quench the, they quenched the power of fire and the edge of the sword and they were made strong in a weakness. We say, yeah, 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 that's, that's kind of, but look then, uh, he says in verse, but others, I, I, God, who wants to be in their camp? Look, look, but others suffered mocking, flogging, even change imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Yeah, how about that one? They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep. Talk about making a GQ statement. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. I want the first group. But the second group is just as real. And it's, it's hard sometimes for us to wrap our minds around the fact that, that we need faith for both pack, uh, paths, uh, a genuine faith. And, and I'm just going to be real honest with you. Some of you, I, over 40 years now in the ministry, I've noticed that some people, God calls them to a hard path, a difficult path. And, and I can't tell you I understand uh, all about that, but uh, some of us will walk hard paths in life, and some will walk paths that are comparatively easy and seem to emphasize victory after victory, while others may never experience that sort of thing in this life. And, and when that's the case, and maybe you're here today, there got to be some people here between the, the two services today, and right now you're on a path that you just don't understand, and it's a hard path. And, it, and it, when you look at other believers, you say, well, why aren't they walking that kind of path? But this is hard. I don't know, but I know it's only temporary. Paul said this light momentary affliction. By the way, if there were an expert on affliction, it's the Apostle Paul. I mean, the dude, everything that could happen to you. He said, I know what it's like to go without clothing. He said, I know what it's like to live without food. I know what it's like to be beat within an inch of my life and left for dead. I know what it's like to float around on a log in the ocean. I mean, on and on he goes. Nobody preaches those passages because Paul's the great. He wrote half of the New Testament. But that's what's going on right here. He's talking about sometimes the path is hard. But no matter what path, whether it's a smooth path, look, look, if it's the smooth path, walk it by faith. And don't feel guilty because you're not on a hard path. Those that are on a hard path, you pray for them if you're on a, a, a path. But at some point in time, you're going to hit a hard path, but some people just seem to relatively have a better path than others, Okay. But you've got to keep it all in perspective. God puts you here to walk this path, the path that he has designed for you, and that's a biblical idea that you have your own race to run and that you run it effectively and that you don't compare your race with someone else's race or your path with someone else's path because that's what the devil will use to take you down another road. It's called the road of bitterness and anger at God. And I don't know why, but I'll tell you what, we're going to get in heaven one day and we're going to find out that there were people, uh, the others, and they're not upset that they were flogged or mocked or sawn into or, or, or suffered great persecution. You're not going to walk up to him and say, hey, uh, he had it a whole lot easier than you. Doesn't that kind of bug you? They're not going to say, yeah, it's bothered me ever since I got here. 
They're going to say it's light, temporary, momentary in light of eternity. And I kept my eyes on God. That was the key. And that's the key for you. Instead of comparing yourself. And the point of these various stories is that faith must carry us regardless of the path we are placed upon. You remember when Paul got saved, he, God sent him to Ananias, and Ananias was a follower, and Ananias first said, God, don't send him to me. You know, this is a bad dude. He kills people like me. He's tried to wipe the church out. God, don't send him to me. God said, no, no, I've, I've redeemed him. And he, he said, you have a message for him. Listen to the message, Acts 9, 13. Here's what he said to Ananias. I want you to communicate that I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. What an encouraging word. Paul, welcome to the kingdom. You are going to suffer big time. You're going to suffer big time. That is not a popular message. Would you all agree with that? But if you go back and you, receive, you, you read what Jesus said about discipleship, he said the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then he said, come and follow me. See, Jesus didn't promise us that this path was always going to be pleasant. I'm for pleasant paths. But don't be fooled or tricked into thinking that if the path isn't pleasant, God is not in it. The paths are hard sometimes. Um, so, so he said, tell Paul he's going to suffer. But my favorite is this. My favorite's in John chapter 21. After Jesus had been raised, you know, he reappears to the disciples, and he appears to Peter and John. And John, by the way, who wrote the gospel of John, he has a wonderful nickname for himself. Y'all know what it was? He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. He calls him, he put that, he attached that to himself. He said, oh yeah, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. He uses that phrase to define himself. But in this particular encounter, Jesus is talking to Peter and John is there and Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die. How would you like that? Peter, here's what's going to happen to you. How would you like somebody to walk up and say, hey, let me tell you, or not somebody, what, Jesus. And he says, Alan, this is the way it's going to happen, buddy. I just don't want to know. Amen? But he tells Peter, and it was going to be through suffering and persecution, by the way. He says, this is how you're going to die. You know what Peter does? He has a classic response. He responds just like you and I would respond. Um, it would be like Jesus talking, uh, Chuck and I are in this, uh, uh, in this environment, and Jesus is talking to us. He says, he says, Ray, I need to let you know what's ahead for you, what's coming for you. And then I look at, at Jesus and, and point at Chuck and say, okay, but what about him? You're going to whack him pretty hard too, aren't you? I'd feel better about you whacking me or me going through persecution and suffering as long as I know he's got to do it too. That's what Peter said. What about John? <laughs> Listen to what Jesus says. Listen to how Jesus answers this. He says to him, If it is my will that he, John, remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Wow. He says, Peter, you're not, you're not processing this right. He said, he said, 
you don't need to be concerned about what's going to go on with him. The question is, will you follow me whatever path comes your way? There's a movie, an old movie called Quo Vadis. It's set in the, the first century, uh, and it's about the Roman Empire and the Christians in uh, 64 A.D. And uh, uh, one of the generals, the main Roman generals, falls in love with a, um, a beautiful lady who is a Christian, but she won't marry him because he's not a Christian and won't convert. Nero is the emperor, and he's a bad dude, maybe the worst of all the emperors of Rome. He's a bad dude, and um, he's wanting to rebuild the city of Rome, but in order to do that, he's got to destroy it, so he burns it down. Nero burns down the city of Rome, and then there's backlash from the people, political backlash from the people, and so Nero says, it wasn't me that burned it down, it was the Christians, you know, that group of people that call themselves Christians, and so they are arrested and rounded up and uh, Nero has them, um, many of them, killed in the arena in Rome, in the Roman Colosseum. And in this one particular scene, 200 Christians are, are uh, prodded into the Colosseum. By the way, I've been there in that Colosseum, and I've stood there on, in the center of that Colosseum, and I, have, with, I had tears run down my face as I thought about the fact that uh, a couple of thousand years ago, hundreds of believers lost their life where I'm standing because they refused to denounce Jesus Christ. And in the movie, they're standing there, a couple hundred of them, and then you see these hungry lions that hadn't been fed, and they march them up to these iron gates uh, and ready to release them on the Christians just to come and devour these, these Christians. And there's one particular scene where, where a woman is holding up her, her young child, and she says, Oh, dear Lord Jesus, help me, help me, Jesus. And she knows what's coming. And the Emperor Nero is watching. The crowds are watching, uh, watching and they're all uh, uh, hyped up and applauding. It was like a sporting event to them. They couldn't wait to see the, the mauling and the destruction of these uh, Christians. And the, 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 the military leader tells, tells Nero, anytime you want to give the signal, they'll release the lines to go in. And in the scene, suddenly, suddenly walking into the arena is the Apostle Peter. And he enters with this loud, booming voice, and he, he proclaims, peace, peace to the martyrs, peace to them. And he says, take your children, Lord, numb their wounds, suffer their pains, and give them strength, O Savior. Blessed are you, he turns to the Christians and says, blessed are you, my children, who die in the name of Jesus because I say to you this day, you shall be with Christ in paradise. And here where you stand and Nero rules today, one day Christ will rule forever. And three guards quickly seize him and they pull him out. And Nero says, who was that guy? And uh, his um, military captain says, oh, I, I think his name is Peter. He's one of their leaders, but he's gotten away from us several times. And then it cuts back to the line slowly pacing, waiting. And then you hear the trumpet blow to release them. That's all, all you see, and you know what comes next. These are the very things that were happening. These are the very things that were happening. And, and to these, uh, these saints, and we don't know their names, and yet they are commended for their faith, just like those that 
previously were mentioned that we know so well. These nameless folks were just as significant to God as the unnamed. I want to tell you this morning, you are just as significant to God as those great patriarchs and those great names of the Scripture. And your faith is what makes the difference both now and for eternity. God knew them, and God knows you. Your walk may be tough right now, but don't waver in your faith. Be inspired by these stories of these men and these women and know that because they faced it successfully, you can too. Stay strong in your faith and trust Him. Some of the reason I believe this story is told is because sometimes you see faith that is commended by God doesn't always bring physical deliverance in this world. Sometimes faith does not stop the, the mouse of the lions around you but it's commended by God. Because these things are light, momentary afflictions. Your faith counts to God. <clears throat> now look, one of the things I don't want to be is a martyr. And I assume you don't either. And I pray that we never will. But this world is becoming more hostile to genuine faith. And some of you may be tested down the road. Your faith may be tested. And that's going to be the real question and test of your faith is what will you do when your faith puts you in a bind where you have to affirm or deny Jesus Christ? But don't, don't give up or waver in your faith. This is light momentary. Look, uh, I think what's going on around us right now is a test. But I think it's just a microcosmic kind of test. I think it's a very small test. I think things might get worse down the road. I don't know that. But right now is where we test our faith, the validity of, of our faith. In 2004, there was a, a, a woman in the, on the Australian um, rowing uh, team, the Olympic rowing team. Uh, her name was Sally Robbins. And um, with 400 meters left to go in what they call the women's eight final rowing competition, with 400 meters left, she just slumped over and quit. She let her air uh, or her oar just kind of dangle in the air, and she just quit rowing. She was okay. She just quit rowing. They were in third place. And with 400 meters to go, she just quit. And because she just quit, they went from third place, giving up the bronze medal to last place. When it was over, they asked her, what happened? She said, I just rode my guts out. And she said, I, just, I was so tired, I just didn't think I could go on. Now, her teammates weren't real sympathetic with her. <laughs> Literally, they said, we thought about throwing her in the water and uh, drowning her. Um, but she just quit. There wasn't, there wasn't far to go. She had already rode over 1,500 meters. There wasn't far to go, but she just quit. She just stopped. I want to tell you something. Whatever you do, the finish line is ahead. Don't quit. God awaits those who faithfully keep on believing and keep trusting and serving and obeying. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about the magnificent reward of faith. And that's the fourth and final thing that I close with today. You see, these people 
they didn't quit. And, and the Bible describes them in a way, it says, of whom the world, verse 38, was not worthy. That's what God thinks of them. The world might not have thought much of their faith, and it may not think much of your faith, but God commends our faith. And there's a magnificent reward of faith. <clears throat> they were commended. Why? Because of their faith. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about, about that whole idea. You remember the parable of the talents? You remember that, where the talents were distributed to three individuals, and then they were to, they were to manage it and come back with a report and and two of them came back and had a very positive report of, by faith, they had, they had taken risk. The third said it didn't, and that was the only one that was condemned. But, but here's the thing, the two, that, the two that handled faithfully what had been entrusted to them, and you've been entrusted with, with gifts and abilities and that sort of thing, and I don't have time to talk about that, but, but when they came back, they heard these words, well done, good and faithful servant. And they said, because you have been faithful, faithful with a little, I will now put you in charge of much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, you know, that's exactly what God wants to say to us. That we were faithful in, in the journey. And at the end of the journey, there is a commendation for that faithfulness. There is a reward for that faithfulness. Just like these people, they, they did not receive the promise in their physical life, but they did receive the very best in eternity. We have to change our perspective about where the real reward is. The reward is an eternal thing. That's what God wants our eyes on. We, we, we settle too easily for just God, just make this life comfortable for me. Listen, I'm not asking for us to, to live in discomfort. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is don't settle for that. Don't let that be the lies where you say, okay. Do you remember the, the, there was a group of religious people called Pharisees? They were kind of in charge in that day. And you remember Jesus said something about their religion. He didn't say anything about their faith. He talked about their religion because they had confused religion and faith. And you remember what he said to them? He called them, first of all, whitewashed tombs. They looked good religiously on the outside, the externals, but on the inside there was no substance. They were completely empty. You remember what he said about them? He said, they practice their religious deeds in front of men to be seen by men. Do you know what that means? It, it, they did their religious thing because they wanted people to come up and pat them on the shoulder and say, oh, wow, you are so spiritual. You are so religious. I wish I could be as religious as you. I wish I could know, I, I knew all the law like you. I wish I could practice all these things. And they would uh, put sackcloth and ashes on themselves, and they would fast publicly, which was a private endeavor, but they would fast to show off. And Jesus said something. About, they were saying, see, don't you think I'm pretty religious? Don't you think I, I'm really... A, a person of God, and, and people thought, I guess so. And, but Jesus said of them, he said, there's no substance in them. And he said, when they do that sort of thing, they have their reward. Do you know what he was saying to them? They've settled for that as their reward. And they better get it now because there's not going to be that reward in eternity. That's what they were willing to settle for. Listen, don't settle for just the, the reward of this life. The big reward is what's coming after this life. That's why Paul, in all he endured, could say, light momentary affliction. 
the magnificent reward. The Bible has a lot to say about the magnificent reward. And think about what Jesus told his disciples before he left. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. Jesus went ahead. He said, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back to you, but I'm going ahead. I'm going to prepare this place for you. And that's why our faith must remain vibrant in the here and now because of what waits for us in the here and after. Whatever you do, keep your eyes on the finish line. And the reward, the Bible has a lot to say about rewards. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. In due season, we will reap if we don't give up, if we don't quit like the Sally Robbins in the, in the race. And Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, he says, I have fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, that's reward, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, the scripture says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on. If we were to transition to the next chapter, and remember, we put the chapter breaks in there. The next chapter talks about finishing a race. Lay aside, you know, the things that so easily entangle us and let us run with endurance the race that God has marked out for us, our individual race. Don't watch the people around you. You run your race. And he says, here's how you do it. You untangle yourself from the things that will trip you up, and you put your eyes, you fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. He says, the author and perfecter of our faith. So you can cross the finish line. A faith that fizzles at the finish line was faulty from the first. A faith that fizzles at the finish line was faulty at first, at the start. Now, I've been talking today about living by, by faith and the importance, and, and I've been talking about how faith carries us and faith sustains us that total confidence and trust in God, no matter what path we walk. But let me close by talking to you about saving faith. Yes, we live by faith. Paul has already told us that the faith that, that brings you into a relationship with Christ is also the same kind of faith that you are to live and walk by. But we come to Christ by faith. And I want to ask you, those of you who are joining us on television and live stream, I want to ask you the same question I'm asking to those who are here in our audience today. Have, have you come to God by faith? I don't mean have you accepted the fact that Jesus existed. I, I mean, have you moved from just the awareness of Jesus or the belief in Jesus to the place where you have put your trust, you have turned your life over to him as your Savior and Lord and Master? Have you, by faith, exchanged your life for his life for the rest of your life? If you haven't, you can. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking about in this place? And I want to ask you, have you done that? Have you put your trust in him? If you died today, do you know with certainty that you would go to be in his presence in eternity? 
If you can't say that with assurance, you need to pray a prayer. You need to invite him in right now, right from your heart. You need to say something like this to him. Lord Jesus, I want faith that saves. I believe that you died on a cross for my sin. And right now, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and that I need you as my Savior. I confess my sin to you, and I invite you to come into my life and to forgive me and to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord and my Master. I receive you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to promise you something. Whether you're watching us by live stream or live in this audience, I want to promise you, if you pray the prayer just like that, Christ has heard you. You say, how do you know that, preacher? I'll tell you how I know that. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, and that's talking about for salvation, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be, not could be, but will be saved. And so today, if you prayed that prayer, something like that prayer that I just offered, you've called upon him to be your Savior. That means he wants to begin this new work, his new fresh work in your life. And you're going to submit to him, and he'll change the way you see things and the values of your life. He'll adjust accordingly. But if you've prayed that prayer, I'm proud. And I want to pray for you right now. Lord, thank you for those who've prayed that prayer today, who've, who've put their trust in you, who've called upon you to be their Savior. And I pray that, Father, they'll begin to recognize anew and afresh your presence in their life, but also change the way they see life and the, the, the things, Father, of life and the values that are valuable to them. Cause them to value the kingdom and value you and, and grow to know you. Would, you. would you help them in this new journey? And Father, make your presence real. We pray it in Jesus' name.